This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious tonight. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5, flying high in both Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team that actually gets to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento like that. That's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Bulls Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. We are presented by the King's Herald, and I got Bryant West on here, as we always do. What's going on, Bryant? How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, my mental well-being is not connected to the Sacramento Kings in such that last night's disastrous uh, conclusion to the Hornets game uh, killed any Zen vibes. So I'm doing just fine. Yeah, the plan was uh, to, and this still is the plan, talk about the Rookie of the Year race with Tyrese Halliburton and uh, LaMelo Ball and felt like it was really fitting with them playing against each other and really wanted to see Tyrese active in this game, obviously, but that didn't end up happening um, and that it was going to be the thick of our conversation today. But I guess we got to start with this just absolutely epic collapse from the Kings. Um, first of all, like outside of the end of the game, I think this was the worst defensive game I've watched yet. Like it's sure a, a like total it. defensive game from both teams. Mm-hmm. It just like did not exist at all. No. Um, yeah, P.J. Washington had 42 points. And and never had a dude within three feet of him look like. Nope. Nope. Um, yeah, yeah, it was an absolutely horrible defensive game. And then um, Sacramento looked like they were going to pull through at the end of there. Um, ESPN has a win probability. <laughs> I saw this. 98.4%. 
was in favor of Sacramento with 58 seconds left. They're up 123 to 115. Um, right before that, actually, before the peak of their probability was um, De'Aaron Fox stealing the inbound and then instantly running down and going to throw it down. And Lamelo fouls him, hits him in the face. It's a flagrant. And um, Fox gets two free throws, misses both of them. And Very badly. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Um, and then they get, Sacramento gets the ball back as part of the flagrant. Um, and at this point, it's like, all right, well, you just want to use as much clock as possible. And they're constantly shooting it with, like, 14 seconds left for the rest of the game for some reason. Um, Bagley gets a pass as he kind of drives down the lane, and there's just a lot of people around the paint. Um, Buddy Heald's open on far side. Uh, you see a block from Lamelo, and they run back, and Terry Rozier hits a three. Five, uh, yes, five-point game. Play the foul game. Bagley gets fouled. Misses both free throws. Which, ridiculous, ridiculous. Then on the other end, you get Terry Rozier getting fouled on a three-point attempt. Which I will say, it's not a foul. I don't no. know if, if, if you remember this clearly, but he kicked his leg out. Like, this could have been offensive. Yeah. Um, it, it, that was the one moment of this epic collapse where I was legitimately upset with somebody who wasn't a Sacramento kid. Yeah. But I will say, he went to the line and made all three free throws, something that the Kings could not do. Um, But yes, I I don't think it was a foul, but either way, it was called. um, And that makes it a two-point game. And then Fox throws up a shot. There's 33 seconds left on the shot clock, and um, it's a little weird because Buddy rolls his ankle, so... He, it kind of fully takes him out of the play. Um, but Fox throws up a shot with 14 seconds left on the shot clock um, when he could have ran it to about 10 seconds in the total game clock if he would have used more of the clock. Um, he made it, but like I felt like he probably could have used more of the clock, and it wasn't a great look. Um, can't be too critical, though. He knocked it down. Made it a four-point game again. Um, and then... They're switching everything um, on defense, Sacramento, and uh, yeah, then P.J. Washington, who maybe if he wasn't on fire and wide open throughout the whole game, wouldn't have knocked down a really – it was a difficult three. You know, there was good defense there. And then um, on the other end, uh, they play the foul game again. This time he gets the ball in Buddy Heald's hand. Buddy's got to make both, right? He yeah. makes one. Only makes one free throw. Um, and then – yeah, but well, we all know how this ends, right? Uh, Sacramento's <laughs> up to and Malik Monk, I guess. Like Malik Monk of all people. Yeah. Malik Monk of all people. I mean, great for him because he was pretty much left for dead on that Hornets bench, like even two months ago or something like that. But he had one heck of a game. Um, just utterly toyed with Corey Joseph on the perimeter. Got a full step past him. Rashawn Holmes was a step too late on that help defense. And, I mean, it was an artful collapse. Yeah. It's just a pure masterpiece. If you could, if, if in the twisted minds of the most tank pro Kings fans, they couldn't have crafted a more artful, fantastic collapse than last night. Yeah, right after that Barnes, uh, like, 
pivot and then poster probably is a fair word. Um, yeah. It was like, oh, this has got to be over. It was. Sure yeah. enough. Yeah, I, I'm really interested on that last play. I, I didn't catch if anyone asked it in the post game, but I didn't see it anywhere. Um, if they were supposed to switch, because P.J. Washington kind of like sets that ghost screen, right, and then um, fades out to the perimeter, and he just hit a three before. He had 42 points in the game, so Holmes is like kind of hesitating. You know, does he stay with Monk or does he go to Washington? I want to say that I feel like they probably were switching. They were switching the play before on everything, so I don't know. Part of me was like, should Corey Joseph have just switched on to P.J. Washington? Like, I'm fine with Holmes on Monk in the closing possessions when it comes to like, yeah. two seconds, three seconds left. Um, it's a much better outcome than this. And also, um, the one other critique I have of this before we kind of can move on from it is when Monk's driving in, like, it feels really obvious for Fox to dig in yeah, and that's try to stop him. him. And uh, he doesn't do anything. He just stands there. Yeah. Um, and even if, say that the layup didn't go in, they didn't blow a whistle, right after that, Mello, Lamello, I should never call him Mello, how dare I? Love <laughs> Mello, um, is the guy he's technically guarding on the perimeter, runs right past him. And if that would have missed and there was a no call, um, Lamello would have got a wide open offensive rebound. Like Fox was checked out of that yeah. last play. There were so many terrible uh, decisions in that final play for Sacramento, but I am exceptionally disappointed with De'Aaron Fox there because even in the moment, I was just like, why aren't you trying to dig here? Like, the guy's going to the basket. If he whips a magical pass to Lamelo, all right, you were trying to help your teammate who was clearly beat. Um, so, I, you know, we've, we've had a lot of conversations lately about De'Aaron Fox's motivation going in and out as this team wanes and wins and goes up and down, but that was uh, exceptionally disappointing and um, far beyond just the free throws. I know that that's a weakness that De'Aaron Fox has been really talking about and really trying to fix, and, you know, I uh, I wasn't great at free throws when I played in high school, Either. so I'm not going to pretend like I am not a yips guy. Um, so I, I can't be the guy who's yelling from the top of the lungs, just make your free throws. But, like, help on defense, man. Yeah. You know what he's doing. Right. Yeah, um, and he was right. He was within an arm's reach of you. Like, if you swat at that ball, you know, you give just enough time for Holmes or Kojo to recover. Like, yeah. Um, and then his old teammate, uh, Monk, goes to the line and, Knocks down a free throw, fitting fitting fashion. Um, in the final 70 seconds, Kings had six free throw attempts. They made one. Um, <laughs> and on each of their final four possessions, the Hornets scored three points. I think uh, I think our buddy John posted on Twitter that if in each of the Kings' last offensive possessions, if they had just held on to the ball. And got a 24-second violation. The Hornets <laughs> wouldn't have had time to come back. So it's like literally nothing was better than what you did. Yeah. And so, yeah, I want to say, um, I'll pull it up again real quick. I'm pretty sure the I Kings am the are... captain of the 
I'm pretty sure Kings are the worst free throw shooting team in the league. Um, they get there a lot. They are second now. Well, they're tied for last with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, but they get there the sixth most. <laughs> um, yeah. And obviously a lot of that is Fox and Bagley. Yeah. Well, it it, it feels um, repetitive to say this, but considering how dependent Darren Fox's game is on driving to the basket, getting fouled, and going to the line, um, he he absolutely needs to be hitting those shots. And it's uh, only 23. He's got plenty of time before he hits his prime and is hitting free throws in a you know meaningful game. Um, we can admit that this was a collapse, but it was a collapse against the Charlotte Hornets in a lost season. Um, so I'm not going to sit there and demand De'Aaron Fox go fix his free throw shooting immediately, but uh, it is definitely going to be something that he needs to be able to do before this team could be that good. So, yeah, yeah, um, definitely needs to work on the free throw shooting, but like like you said, we've known this for a while, and, it, you know, I think it'll it'll happen. I think we've seen a little bit of progress, um, and, yeah, my issue would be more on that final defensive possession, and uh, I can't tell you, I, I really don't know how when's the last time I laughed that hard because I, I just couldn't help myself. I actually broke out laughing when he got fouled and converted that. Um, it was it was just a ridiculous, um, ridiculous sequence of events for the Kings. Um, but that's enough of that. Um, they do sit now with the fifth best odds in the NBA draft, um, the lottery, I should say. Um, yeah, but again, today's episode, uh, what we're going to focus on is the Rookie of the Year race. And uh, let's just start with what Tyrese Halliburton has done for the Kings this year. Yeah, it's a real shame that he didn't get to play last night because um, Kings really could have used his... Um... The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Uh, intelligence. In the last couple of minutes, I'll say that. Um, Real quick, I mean, do you think it was strategic that they gave him the award that day? Wasn't it just the first home game in a long time? That was at least my guess as to why they were giving him his NBA Rookie of the Month award. I didn't realize, yeah, they had a six-game road trip. You're right. Yeah, that was my guess. I mean, it's still late. It's still late. Yeah. The the Kings definitely had home games in February, Um, but that's my guess anyway. Um, but, you know, it, it, the Kings are definitely a much worse team without Tyrese Halliburton on the court. Uh, and it's amazing to say that about a rookie. Um, you know, just to give a basic overlay of uh, Tyrese Halliburton's season so far, uh, averaging 13.2 points per game, shooting 61.9% true shooting percentage, uh, 49% from the field, 43% from three, 5.4 assists per game, 3.6 rebounds, steal and a half per game, 
and a 3.5 to 1 assist-to-turnover ratio, which I don't need to tell you is freaking amazing for an NBA player, let alone a rookie. Um, and as you and I have been talking about all season, Tyrese Halliburton is absolutely what this team needed next to De'Aaron Fox. Um, and I really think that it gets lost in just how amazing he looks at sometimes. Um, anybody who didn't watch him much at Iowa State last year might just be like, wow, this kid's always been incredibly special and teams were stupid to pass on him. Well, teams were stupid to pass on him, but I think just saying that undersells how much work Tyrese Halliburton must have spent in that long offseason just improving his game. Um, I wrote about this a week ago, but Tyrese Halliburton's improvement as a shooter is just absolutely incredible. In college, he was a deadly catch-and-shoot guy. I think he was literally 99th percentile among all college players for catch-and-shoot shots. But his shot off the bounce was much, much worse. He only shot 28% on all off-the-dribble shots last year. So far this year, he's 44% on pull-ups and 38% on pull-ups from deep, which is just an absolutely incredible growth. And, you know, we've talked about it. If one of the reasons that, you know, we were trying to hold our optimism in check was, well, Tyrese Halliburton was never a self-creator to the extent that he's certainly showing now. Um, if anybody wants to just be insanely optimistic about Tyrese Halliburton, just go watch those highlights from that Brooklyn Nets game where, he, I mean, he nobody could guard him. So um, it, the, the growth that he has shown on offense is stunning to me as somebody who watched him a lot last year. Um, and I think that that sometimes gets lost in how excited fans are for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, he may even have a, I guess maybe not a greater impact point, being he has a, a phenomenal impact on the defensive end of the floor as well. Um, you know, the, the reads that he's making, and uh, I think even just, the IQ and, you know, kind of quarterbacking some of his teammates sometimes on where they should be, which is Mm -hmm. insane, again, for a rookie player. Um, Usually that's where a lot of adjustment is needed, and his off-ball defense has been phenomenal right out the gate. Um, I I don't know that I've ever seen a guard like his size get four blocks in a game, uh, for example. So, yes, obviously extremely impactful, you know, to be getting 30-plus minutes a night. Um, yeah, it's 30.1 so far on the season, and among all rookies, he's only second to our, our guy, Isaac Okoro, over there in Cleveland. Um, yeah, I mean, as everybody listening knows, Halliburton has been phenomenal. He's been crucial to Sacramento having that promising stretch and definitely crucial to the, the season of Zen. Um, to keep our, our sanity. Um, yeah, I mean, 43% from deep on, on 5.5 attempts is absurd. Um, we've seen him in the pick and roll and how he's able to optimize uh, big men. I would assume that all his teammates absolutely just love playing with Halliburton. Um, always seems to make the exact right play. Yeah, um, even to even to his own detriment. Like, we've talked about this a lot, and I think it bears repeating. He really is a dude who just has a blind trust in his teammates to be 
as smart as him and always see the right thing to do. Um, now, his, his determination to always make the right play despite the limited bench talent he sometimes plays with is both admirable and the most frustrating thing about Tyrus Halliburton because as he's continued to showcase more ability to hit off the pop or get all the way to the basket or he just continues to fling stuff to uh, Hassan Whiteside who just fumbles it off. Um, so more and more, I think Tyrese Halliburton's going to have to realize not everybody is as capable as you are. Not everybody is always going to see the plays that you do. Not everybody's going to be ready for your passes. Even if you were a seven-foot center, you definitely would be ready for that pass. So Tyrese Halliburton is going to eventually learn that he needs to be more decisive on his own ability. But as, you know, this is a evaluation thing I think we both share, it's easier for a player to learn restraint than it is for them to learn um, that kind of go for it mentality. So I I love that he thinks that Hassan Whiteside is totally a great pick and roll partner. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, it's a good transition into LaMelo, who, you know, is on the other side of that. Um, and really is is putting up phenomenal numbers this year. Um, just the basics of Lamelo, you know, 28 minutes a game, 15 points, six six rebounds, six assists, steal and a half. Um, there is 2.8 turnovers. I have uh, on the year 44% from the field, 35% from deep on five attempts, and 80% from the free throw line. Um, I mean, if you're just looking at like the straight up counting stats, Lamelo kind of has Halliburton beat. Yeah, I mean, LaMelo Ball is the NBA rookie leader in points per game, rebounds per game, and assists per game. And I didn't realize. You, that. <laughs> I think for, I think a month ago, the argument that you and I would have made for Tyrese Halliburton being over LaMelo Ball was that Tyrese Halliburton has always been exceptionally efficient. Um, He's currently shooting 61.9% true shooting percentage. Um, but over the last month since he's since LaMelo Ball's gotten the starting job, his efficiency has not dipped. It's gone up. He's shooting 55.5% true shooting percentage, um, 44% from the field, 35% from three. And that last one's key because, you know, the biggest – from three. Is it really? I see. I see forty percent from three. Yeah, on six point six attempts. Sorry, uh, I Basketball Reference has him at thirty five percent from three. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, NBA stats has it a little different. Either way, even if it's somewhere in the middle or even the lower one. Yeah. No, thirty five percent itself is an yeah. improvement on based on you know everybody. There were a whole bunch of people who were doubting LaMelo Ball's transition. And a lot of the conversations really were circled around, can he shoot so far on a team that really has needed him to be a kind of a go-to guy? I mean, last night he shot the ball exceptionally well. Um, So there's no no doubt in my mind that he looks like a future high-usage star. Um, So congrats to the Hornets. They got their dude. Um, and as 
as we move forward. Right now, he's clearly the rookie of the year leader in my mind. Yeah. Who do you think has better highlights? Because to me, like thinking about this yesterday, I was like, well, it's easily LaMelo. And I was like, well, if you just put together a highlight reel, like Halliburton actually isn't bad. Like he does have, you know, I said the other day, like he doesn't have the traditional highlights. But I thought about it more. I'm like, he actually, he kind of does with these no-look passes. He has some yeah. really deep threes. You know, it, I think it would be a lot easier to make a general NBA highlight reel of LaMelo Ball's play. But LaMelo Ball doesn't have the deflection highlights or the I'm going to bait the off ball, the guy with the ball in his hands to try to pass it to his teammate who I've got completely covered. He just doesn't know what kind of highlights that uh, Tyrese gives us on a game-to-game basis. Um, so I think it's really easy to be excited for either one of them, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, I I feel like the the rookie of the year conversation has devolved into such a, well, who would you rather have kind of discussion. But to me, honestly, that's a separate conversation. And I, I keep coming back to this. Would either the Hornets or the Kings trade – these two players for each other? And to me, the answer is no. Um, I think the Hornets are perfectly very happy with LaMelo Ball. They're clearly thrilled. Um, They're seeing real dividends since they've put him in the starting lineup. Um, They got their offer initiator. But I'm not so crazy sure that LaMelo Ball is going to be a guy who really can work with a De'Aaron Fox type initiator. Um, You know, it's, is Terry Rozier a long-term player on this team? Um, and, boy, I, I had to look twice just to make sure Devontae Graham's numbers have tanked this year. Like, I always know his shooting numbers were dependent on him hitting three-point shots. But yeah. He's hitting 35% from the field this year, and he's down to 13 points per game. I mean, Terry so, swapped, I guess. Yeah. Um. So I, I, clearly, I don't think the Hornets would make the trade. I don't think Sacramento does either because Tyrese Halliburton fits so, so perfectly with what De'Aaron Fox needs as a teammate. Um, and, I mean, just looking at the raw numbers, LaMelo Ball is averaging a 24.5% usage rate, averaging almost 16 field goals for 36 minutes. And he's third on the team in field goal attempts already this season. Tyrese Halliburton... 17.2% usage rate, only 12.5 field goals for 36, and he's fifth on the team in field goal attempts. Okay. Um, so, like, I think both teams are very happy with the rookie that they got. And I feel like too often when, you know, we have conversations about rookies of the year, it's so close to the draft time that we go outside of team construct and think, well, who would you draft right now? And I think that Tyrese Halliburton especially is so team fit dependent that it makes that conversation bunk. Like we don't need to tear down each player respective of the team that drafted them to be like, no, Kings are really happy with Tyrese Halliburton. Hornets are really happy with LaMelo Ball. We're all good. We can argue about which one's been more impactful, but it doesn't change anything. Yes, I'm with you. Um, 
yeah, I do think, you know, LaMelo ends up as the generally better NBA player, probably. Um, It's not, like, so dramatic in my mind, and there is, you know, a possibility that LaMelo doesn't quite reach that ceiling and, um, excuse my dog, uh, (laughs) has more downside still, you know, for shooting numbers to regress and things like that. Uh, Tyrese has been consistent throughout the entire year. Um, But, yeah, if we're talking rookie of the year, hard to make a case for Halliburton right now, sadly. It's it's hard to make a case for anybody, but LaMelo Ball. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, we can talk about some of the other guys a little bit. Um, Anthony Edwards. Oh, and uh, the one other thing I wanted to get in there. Um, If, uh, you know, another thing that's obviously going to be big for guys is just having a huge game. And, you know, Halliburton had 23 – Halliburton has broken 20 points, well, more times than I expected counting this, uh, one, two, three, four, five times so far this season. Um, And then on the mellow side, you see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, including a 34-point game. He has the youngest triple-double in NBA history. Like, I think big games are going to be a big part of it as well. Um, and LaMelo's going to have bigger games than Halliburton. Anthony Edwards is going to have bigger games than Halliburton, even though you know, Halliburton will be higher than him on the rookie of the year race, I'd say. But, like, if you're talking just big games that are going to get highlights and attention, yeah, those other guys are going to do it more often. I mean, Kings fans always knew that Tyrese Halliburton wasn't going to be a dude that general – baseline NBA fans with a casual understanding of Sacramento we're going to watch a lot of. Um, And it was really great to see a lot of national media attention early in the season to back us all up on what we've been yelling. Tyrese Halliburton's amazing, guys. Um, But he's not going to be the dude who uh, suddenly gets like 30 highlight reels posted the moment a game's over. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, but um, I, I do pretty much think it's a two-man race. You know, obviously, um, if if there was extended missing time for LaMelo, then uh, maybe that puts Halliburton into it. Um, to touch on the other guys a little bit, Anthony Edwards, who has really come along as of late, um, is 14 points a game, four rebounds, two and a half assists. But uh, the issue with Ant is these uh, shooting splits. Um, yeah. 37% from the field, 31% from three, and you got 80% from the free throw line. Um, but, yeah, they're definitely letting him get his shots up, especially as of late. Yeah. Well, I saw that I'd had this idea in my head that Anthony Edwards had been bouncing back a little bit, and he definitely has in terms of scoring. Like, the month of February was easily his best month on the season, averaging nearly 17 points a game. Uh, but in that month, he was still shooting 37% from the field. so I, I had not. the same thought. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the numbers are going to be better. Wow, they are not. There's a stretch no, yeah. here. There's a stretch here. 3 of 15, 3 of 14, 3 of 11, 3 of 13. Um, yeah, the recent games, 9 of 22. That's actually not bad at all. 8 of 22. I mean, both of those aren't ideal. I mean, he's putting up 20-plus points, you know. Um, but, yeah, he, he's got an ultra-green light. and Yeah. Um, Ant probably, unless there's an efficiency efficiency jump, which was already a question with him coming into the year, um, I don't really see him as being in the conversation too much. Yeah. Um, 
You know, as somebody who had him number one on my board um, coming into the draft, this is about what I expected. I expected his rookie season to be terribly inefficient. Um, Here's hoping that Chris Finch is that guy who can really get him to be like, no, your your optimization is getting to the basket. Nobody in the league can stop you. Um, So it's going to be really interesting to see when the Timberwolves can – really build an efficient offense. Um, and I think that in a couple of years, Anthony Edwards has a real case for being uh, a top two player on a solid team um, and a really efficient player. Uh, he's not that right now. He shouldn't be in this rookie of the year conversation. Yeah, um, it, it really is a two-man race, I guess, with LaMelo pretty far ahead of Tyrese, like we said. Um, but in that second tier, um, Ant belongs with two other guys in my mind. Uh, James Wiseman, who has missed a little bit of time recently, um, 51% from the field, 40% from three on only one attempt a game, uh, 63% from the line. He was really hot to start the year, especially from deep, which I think was uh, obviously a nice sight for Warriors fans, but I will say I think they end up uh, regretting that pick, and I kind of felt that way at the time. Um yeah, and to only have 5.9 rebounds, like you said, LaMelo is leading this rookie class in rebounds. Um, Wiseman should be pulling down more boards. And, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think, you know, he's putting up monster performances or anything like this um, to no. be part of that conversation. But, I mean, when how often does a big man win rookie of the year? Yeah, we talk about like Cat, and Cat's like an outlier scorer. Yeah, Cat, Cat's an, a super outlier kind of guy. I mean, we we talked about this a bajillion times with Marvin Bagley. Big men, you really, really take three, four years before you know if a big man's good in the NBA. Yeah. Um, it, it, and especially on a team like the Warriors, where it, whoever the Warriors took was always going to be a developmental. You are behind Steph, Clay, Draymond, dot, 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 dot. Right. Um, so I, I – I think that uh, James Wiseman's in a really good spot for him. I think that in a couple of years he's going to be a really good player. Uh, but no, he's he's he doesn't belong in this conversation right now. Emmanuel quickly. This was the other guy I had in this, this conversation. Last okay, yeah, last guy that deserves to be mentioned. Um, absurd um, splits from him. Um, yeah, I think. Well, okay, thirty-nine percent from the field, not amazing. Um, he's got a killer floater. There's there is a conversation to be had about quickly's floaters, Lamellos, or Halliburton's, which this may be a whole nother podcast now that I'm thinking about it. Um, quickly's also got 38% from deep, 94% from the line, um, a little bit of a less traditional point guard where he's not an awesome playmaker. Um, only 2.4 assists, and this was known coming in. Um, yeah. But not not too many turnovers either. Um, he's really been lining up. I don't know if I mentioned 12, 12.2 points. Um, definitely more effective. And t- to gain the trust of Thibodeau this early on in his career is very telling. Absolutely. You know, I think it's hilarious that um, I wrote a whole article talking about how Tyrese Maxey was going to be the latest dude who got held back by Kentucky's collegiate system, and yet I never gave Emmanuel quickly that same caveat of, well, why couldn't Emmanuel quickly thrive in the NBA away from Coach Cal? So I definitely think uh, quickly was one of my big draft misses. 
because he's just been great. He was great in that Kings game, and uh, it, they really got a good player moving forward. Yeah, he was efficient in um, in college. Where did you end up having him, roughly? Do you know? He was in my late 30s, I think. He was not in my first. He was not in the first round for me, and he should have been. He should have been top 20. Yeah, I have him 41 here. Jesus. Yeah, not a great look below Jay Scrub, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but deserves to be mentioned here. But again, it's a two-man race between Lamelo and Tyrese, and uh, right now, sorry, Kings fans. Um, yeah, Lamelo um, seems like the well-deserved favorite at this moment. Um, but like you said, I don't think either team would trade either one. It's, it's nothing like that. It's just it's just fun race to keep up with. When's the last time you could talk about a Sacramento Kings in any sort of aspect being involved closely in any race that had some hardware? Tyreek? Yeah, 2009, I think. And, you know, uh, the less efficient player won the trophy that year, and then the dude who got second place went on to become an NBA champion and multiple-time MVP. So, you know. If that's the standard we're going to set right now, then uh, yeah. go buy all of your Tyrese Howard. Remind, uh, remind me who this second place guy is. Steph Curry. Got it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. It was a big, big um, conversation. I mean, especially for me as a Kings fan going to school in the Bay Area. Um, there were a ton of Warriors fans who were like, Steph Curry, Steph Curry's going to be great. And I was like, I, you know, you know me. Steph Curry's my biggest draft miss. So from the get-go, I was like, no, Tyreek Evans is clearly the rookie of the year. What are you all talking about? And three years later, they're like, Tyreek's not even on your team anymore. Tyreek's going to win the championship. Rookie of the year does not always mean that you are the best player in your class after a couple of years. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. so I think that's, that's all we have. Uh, for this one uh, I think the plan for next episode or an episode soon here is to kind of talk about um, a little bit of our draft philosophy for this upcoming draft um, I think there is an interesting you know mix of guys if Sacramento's sitting at like six seven to like mm-hmm. ten of you know do you draft a high floor guy do you take an upside swing um, that I'm still not 100% where I stand actually on that debate um, but I will have a clear side that I stand on um, come the time we have that conversation. And then they have some second rounders as well. You know, like my impression is last year was a deeper draft um, than this year, but definitely saw some talent. Obviously, Robert Woodard and Jemias Ramsey, 40 and 43. Um, and it looks like Sacramento's own second rounder is going to be in a pretty nice position as well if you're talking mm-hmm. mid early 30s um there definitely could be intriguing guys there so i think it'll be interesting to just kind of talk about what sort of positionally and obviously it'll develop a lot more as we get a better feel of the um pool of prospects a little bit further down the board of um yeah what we would kind of like to do with those um but i think that's all i got here bryant i'm just watching a bunch of college ball to keep me engaged in any sort of way because Sacramento basketball is not doing it for me, man. Yeah, I don't blame anybody who's turned out the Kings so far this season. Um, And anybody who's sticking on this bandwagon and watching every Kings game, just remember, it's the season of Zen.
you know, every loss, every loss gets us closer to uh, the top five of what's very much a top five draft. Uh, and, uh, you know, if the Kings manage a win or two, then great. <laughs> this team could always use a little bit more positive motivation. Um, and let's just hope that whatever losses come aren't epic collapses in the final minutes because those ones are kind of hard to stomach. Yeah, definitely. Um, would rather it, yeah, never mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> with you. Um, yeah, top five, top three, obviously. Top, I mean, yeah, just give me Keith Cunningham, man. Just give me Keith Cunningham. 40-point <laughs> game was phenomenal. Oh. I detected you. I'd be like, hey, just so you know, this is happening right now. I had to go back and watch that. <laughs> and watch his points in that game just because, oh, my goodness, that was a spectacular game against a pretty good Oklahoma team. Um, and I really hope the kid keeps reeling these off. Definitely. Um, we're going to keep reeling off episodes. The guys at King's Herald are going to keep reeling off articles there. So definitely check it out and uh, support the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. Um, if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.